Chapter 9 of The Cave in the Mountain by Edward Ellis Groping in Darkness It is proper at this point to introduce some history of the movements of Mickey O'Rooney after the separation between himself and his young friend. The latter, it will be remembered, left him sleeping upon the Apache blanket at the bottom of the cave while he, the lad, went off in pursuit of the wolf which came so near leading him to destruction, but which in the end conducted him to freedom and safety. The Irishman slept for several hours longer as soundly as if he lay in his own bed at home. He was sorely in need of sleep, and having convinced himself that there was no danger to be apprehended, he transferred all his anxiety over to his young friend, while he sailed off into the land of dreams. When he awoke and recalled where he was, he spoke to Fred, but receiving no reply supposed he was asleep and passed his hand about in quest of him. After groping several minutes in vacancy, he muttered, "'Be the powers if he hasn't fell out of bed, as me brother Tom used to remark to the old gentleman after he'd kicked me out of the seam. The fall ain't far enough to hurt him seriously, but these laddies have a way of getting hurt where a man couldn't do it if he tried.' After calling and searching farther, he struck a match and held it up. A transient glimpse was gained of an area of several hundred feet in which, it is needless to say, he saw nothing of his young friend. "'Be the powers, but he's straight away,' added Mickey somewhat impatiently. "'He thought there was something that it would pee to chase, and he's gone off, and of course will be lost.' With a view to bringing him back, the Irishman called his name, whistled, and after a time fired his gun. The echoes were not so loud as when Fred had fired, but the racket was sufficient to make him confident it would reach the ears of the boy if he were not asleep or injured. Mickey, as will be seen, formed the right opinion of the action of his young friend, and hoped that he would be able to work his way back to camp, as they called it, without any mishap or assistance from him. He thinks there's another door that opens into the sunshine, and that isn't locked, and if it is, he can pick the key. He may work away till he becomes weary, and then he'll be back here, and we'll have to contrive some other way, or it may be that good luck will lead him to the opening for which he sighs. Heaven grant that the same may be the case. He waited, and watched, and hoped as the hours passed by until he began to believe that something serious had happened to him. At intervals he repeated his signals, but on no occasion was there anything like a response. It was an odd juxtaposition of events that at the very moment he uttered some of the calls, the despairing kid was doing the same thing, and although each strained his ears to the utmost, yet neither suspected the truth. The hours and the time passed on, until happening to look up at the opening, Mickey saw the prepared blanket slowly descending, just as Fred looked upon it from the ridge. "'I'm obliged to yees,' he said in an undertone, "'but I don't find myself in pressing need of the same. I have one here, but if ye insist on my taking that, I'll not quarrel with yees.' He resolved that when it came down within his reach he would cut the lasso and take it, but before it reached the ground he had changed his mind. He knew what the intention of the Apaches was, but he was not deceived for an instant. 
i'll not do anything at all he muttered i'll not interfere where it's a difficult to decide upon me duty as the old lady observed when the bear got her husband down i'll let him think i'm asleep and see what they'll do and thus as the reader already knows the rolled-up blanket was lowered and raised again without molestation almost grazing the upturned face of the irishman as it did so and the next will be one of the spalpeens himself begara there he is this minute just as he anticipated a short time after the blanket began its descent and folding the form of one of the swarthy warriors the irishman at once detecting the ruse his rifle was brought to his shoulder but yielding to a whim which he could hardly explain he lowered it without firing and resolved that he would do nothing at all unless compelled to in self-defence about this time an idea began to dawn upon him that silence and inaction upon his part might do himself more good than the most vigorous defence he might shoot the first indian and then the others would only keep themselves out of reach and he would be no nearer escape than before on the other hand if he studiously forced himself into the background they might begin to believe that he had discovered the means of exit which was unknown to them he had no fear of not being able to keep out of their way where he had such abundant room and where no light possibly could reach the interior and reveal his presence to a hundred searchers if they chose to attempt to carry torches then he could pick them off at his own convenience and so it came about that mickey stood quietly by and permitted the whole five apaches to slide down the rope like so many monkeys while he raised no hand in any way of protest not knowing how many the party numbered he could not conjecture how many were left when the five had come down and the business stopped for the time but he knew as a matter of course that they would not enter the cave without leaving reinforcements upon the surface by the time the last man landed mickey had moved back to a point a hundred yards away from where the group were gathered where he was seated upon a large rock if any of em undertakes to flash a bull's eye in me face i can dodge down behind the seam was the way in which the irishman reasoned it at such a time and in such a place the faculty of hearing was about the only one that could be counted upon and sliding softly off the rock mickey applied his ear to the earth if the apaches were moving about the noise made by their feet was so slight that he could not be certain whether they were actually branching out and groping for him or whether they were the sounds produced by the natural shifting of the feet of a group of men standing together matters stood thus for some time when the last indian suddenly came through the opening and plumped down upon the ground below his start on this journey being such that he was probably considerably shaken up by the involuntary trip his spalpeens must be more careful in coming downstairs muttered mickey who supposed the whole thing was an accident as in his own case but it was not long before he heard the voice of fred munson calling from above and as each word was distinctly heard there was no room for any misunderstanding of the situation the irishman was literally dumbfounded be the powers if it isn't the most wonderful thing that ever happened as mrs murphy remarked when tim came home sober one night that laddie in hunting around has struck upon some hole that leads out and he's forgot 
or else it was so hard to find his way back to me that he has gone round to that place and now hollers down at me. Begara, added Mickey a moment later, it must be that he shoved that spalpeen overboard. Then there isn't anybody left up there in the way of Apaches but one, and he ain't an Apache but a gentleman named Fred Moonson. Here's to his health, and if this thing gets any more delightful, I'll have to give a hoop and a yell and strike up the temporary jig. The exultant fellow had hard work to keep his spirits under control when he fairly understood the brilliant exploit that had been performed by his young friend. It is almost equal to my general course, he added, but I must try and hold in till I can get the laddie by himself, then I'll hammer him out of pure love, as you may say. Mickey managed to contain himself, but did not attempt to reply to the direct call which was made upon him. That, in one sense, would have been fatal, as it would have uncovered his position. The Irishman was quick-witted, and it occurred to him that the last incident which had happened at the entrance to the cave might be turned to good account. If he continued to remain in the background, the Apaches were likely to conclude that he, too, was beyond their reach. Thus matters stood until the signal was made to him, when he deemed it wise to make a cautious reply, merely to apprise the lad that he was there within call and understood the situation through and through. Mickey was very apprehensive when, some time after, he discovered that one of the Indians was ascending the rope. He was not so apprehensive when he came down again. The result of this repulse was much more decisive than Fred had supposed. The warriors seemed to suspect that they were throwing away time and attempting to outwit one who held such an immense advantage over them, and who was too wide awake to permit them to steal a march upon him. The delighted Irishman knew from the sounds that the Redskins were moving away from the spot, not with the idea of staying away altogether, but that they might engage upon a little reconnaissance which might possibly open the way that they were so anxiously seeking. One of the redskins passed almost within arm's length of him, never suspecting, as a matter of course, that he was brought into such proximity to a mortal enemy. Mickey only breathed until assured that there was quite a distance between him and the Apaches. "'Now it begins to look as though there's a chance for me,' he concluded, "'and if me laddie will let down the lasso, I'll try the beautiful experiment of shinning up it.' though I much fear me that it would be the same as a greased pole. He moved with the utmost circumspection toward the spot, being able to locate it by means of the moonlit opening overhead, and when he was near it he halted and listened. "'I don't observe that anyone is loafing about here getting in the wee of honest folks.' Just then he ran plump against an Apache whom he did not suspect was so near him. The redskin uttered a grunt of anger, no doubt suspecting that it was one of his own friends. As quick as lightning, the Irishman drew back and struck a blow that stretched the warrior senseless. "'I'll teach ye to be grunting around here when a gentleman runs agin ye. You ought to be ashamed of yourself.' Mickey had already strapped his rifle to his back, and groping about he felt the end of the lasso dangling in front of his face. The same instant he grasped it and began the ascent. End of chapter 9 Chapter 10 Here We Are Again 
Fred Munson, having been deceived once by the Apache climbing up the rope, was not to be caught again in the same way. When he became certain that a second person was coming up, he grasped his pistol again and held himself in readiness to repel boarders the very instant they appeared. It soon became evident that this second person, whoever he was, had a serious time in climbing up the rope. He frequently paused as if resting, and this fact led the lad to feel more hopeful than ever that it was his old friend drawing near. When it became apparent that he was near the top, the curiosity of Fred became so great that he drew himself forward and, peering down the black throat of the cave, asked in a whisper, "'I say, Mickey, is that you? Speak if it is, or give a little whistle.' "'By the powers, but I'm so tired I'm speechless, with not even the strength to let out a whistle.' This established the identity of the climber beyond all question, and the words were hardly uttered when the familiar face of the Irishman appeared. He was exceedingly tired, and the lad reached his hand down to assist him out. It was at this juncture that the Apache who had run against the fist of Mickey O'Rooney recovered, and seeing his foe in the act of vanishing, gave a whoop of alarm to his companions, caught up his rifle, and fired away. The hasty aim alone prevented a fatal result, the bullet clipping the clothing of the Irishman. "'Fire away, you spalpeens, for all the good it may do you,' called out the Irishman, who at this moment clambered out of range and sank down upon the ground. "'Begara, I'm as tired as Jim O'Shaughnessy, after his friendly match with his wife,' gasped Mickey, speaking shortly and rapidly as best he could, while he leaned over upon his elbow until he could regain his strength and wind. It required but a short time, when he reached his hand to the lad and shook it for the third or fourth time, smiling at the same time in his old jolly way as he rose rather unsteadily upon his pins. "'I'll have to wait a while till the kink gets out of me legs before I give you the Donnybrook jig, but I make the engagement with you, and the thing is down for performance, do you mind that? And now, me laddie, we must travel. Are you hungry?' "'Yes.' I have a bite saved that'll do you till the morrow. When you waltzed out of the cave and left me to myself, I felt there was no knowing how long I'd have to stay behind, so I knocked off both eating and drinking with the idea of getting used to going without anything. As they were able to talk more understandingly, the two explained their experiences since they had parted. They could not fail to be interesting in both cases. When they had finished, Mickey O'Rooney had about recovered from the terrible strain he had undergone in clambering out of the cave, barring a little ache in his arms and legs. "'Now, me laddie, we must emigrate, as there ain't anything to be gained by loafing around here, as the gals used to tell the chaps when they tried to cut me out. The first thing to learn is whether the hoss that I lift some distance away is still there cropping the grass, if he is.' then we shall have small work in making our way back to New Boston. But if he is emigrated ahead of us there, we must hunt for others. There's no need of going that far. Why not? Because the mustangs of the Apaches are right over yonder behind those rocks. That's good. Let's go take a look at the seam. They hurried over to the spot where the half-dozen mustangs were tethered. They were lying upon the ground, taking their sleep, having finished a bounteous meal. The intelligent creatures showed their training by throwing up their heads the instant the two came in sight, 
and several gave utterances to whinnies, no doubt with the purpose of apprising their masters of the approach of strangers. None of them rose to their feet, however, and Mickey and Fred moved about, inspecting them as best they could in the moonlight, with the purpose of selecting the best. "'They're all a fine lot,' as the neighbours used to say, after inspecting me father's family, "'and it's hard to make up your mind which is the best. But here is one that strikes me fancy. Get up, will ye?' The steed, spoken to in this peremptory manner, leaped to his feet and stood in all his graceful and beautiful proportions, an equine gem which could not fail to command admiration. "'I think he'll suit,' said the Irishman, after a careful examination. "'I think he can run as well as any of em. "'I'll tell you what we'll do, me laddie. We'll both mount this one, and ride till we reach the place where I lift mine, when we'll have one apiece.' "'But if yours isn't there?' "'Then we'll keep this one between us, as the gals used to say when they quarrelled over me. "'Hadn't I better take one of the horses, and if we find yours, why, we can turn one of these loose. "'We shall be all right, no matter how things turn out.' "'It's not a bad idea,' assented the Irishman. "'Pick yours out, and then we'll turn the others loose.' "'Why will you do that?' "'What's the use of laving em here?' Them spalpeens will find their way out of the cave before long, and then they'll strike straight for these animals. And if they happen to get out pretty soon, they'll make trouble with us. We might as well let them walk a while. How are they going to get out? Didn't you leave the lasso hanging down into the cave? I declare I never thought of that, exclaimed the affrighted lad. Why didn't you tell me? And he started to repair the oversight when Mickey caught his arm and checked him. "'Not so, me son, leave it as it is. "'If we should go away and leave the spalpeens down there without the rope, "'they might never find the way out and would starve to death, "'and it would always grieve me to think that I had starved six Apaches to death "'instead of affording myself some enjoyment by cracking them over the head with a shillelagh.' "'I should be sorry to do that,' replied Fred, "'who comprehended the cruelty of leaving the poor fellows to perish.' as they were likely to do if left without the means of escape. But if we leave the rope hanging there, the whole party'll be up here before we can get out of the way. And then what shall we do? Never fear, never fear, said Mickey, with a wave of his hand and a magisterial shake of the head. The spalpeens have got enough a-claimin' up there for a while. They've gone off on a hunt through the cavern for the place where you crawled out, and they'll keep at that till morning, and then— if there's no show for em, they'll come back and begin to fool around the rope again. The lad had little difficulty in deciding upon his steed, which was a coal-black mustang, lithe and willowy, and apparently of a good disposition, although that was necessarily a matter of conjecture for the present. There were no saddles upon any of the horses, and nothing but the rudest kind of bridle, consisting of a thong of twisted bull's hide and reaching away to some limb or tree so as to give the animal plenty of grazing area the lariats of the other four were cut so that when they arose they would find themselves at liberty to go whither they chose after which the two approached their respective prizes and prepared to mount both were good riders although being compelled to go at bareback they felt some misgivings as to the result Fred's mustang was rather undersized, so that he was able to vault upon him from the ground without difficulty. After patting him on the neck and speaking soothingly to him with a view to disarming him of all timidity, the lad leaped lightly upon his back. 
the steed showed at once that he did not like this familiarity and reared and plunged and shook his head in a vicious way but he toned down somewhat after a time and seemed disposed to compromise matters until he learned something about his rider you're going to become a good rider that is in the course of twenty or thirty years remarked mickey who had been watching his young friend closely if you practice each day in those thirty years but i want you to observe my style note how completely i bring the animal under how docile he becomes how mild how gentle how lamb-like and with these rather pompous observations he laid his hand upon the mane of his mustang and at one bound bestrode him catching the lariat after the manner of one who was determined to have no nonsense about it now note how quick i'll subdue him how afeard he'll be you can't goad him into trying to throw me talk about rarry breaking that old horse cruiser that used to ate his keeper every day for breakfast he couldn't compare with myself before mickey had time to finish his observation the heels of the mustang went up almost perpendicularly in the air and with such suddenness that mickey was thrown a dozen feet over his head alighting upon his hands and knees fred was amused beyond expression at the discomfiture of his boasting friend who was not a little astonished at the manner in which he had been overthrown turns up he said as he gathered himself on his feet again that i was a little mistook such accidents will happen now and then and it isn't very kind for a spalpeen like yourself to laugh at me sorrow i can't help it mickey but i'm afraid i can't stick to the back of this horse he seems scared and mad and his back feels mighty slippery without any saddle or blanket maybe if i get on with you the weight of us both will hold him down the mustang which hard thrown the irishman continued to flourish his heels and disport himself in such a lively style that his spirit became contagious and the four who were yet upon the ground now came to their feet and after some plunging and rearing made a rush down the slope and were soon out of sight the animal ridden by the lad showed a disposition to join them but the rider resisted and managed to hold him until at the opportune moment mickey placed himself upon his back and as he was really a good horseman and used vigorous means he speedily managed to bring him under control turning his head toward the ridge they started him forward pausing near the mouth of the cavern long enough to gather up one of the blankets lying there as it was likely to be useful at no distant time End of chapter ten chapter eleven through the mountains the moon was high in the sky and as it was near midnight o'rooney who had taken upon himself the task of guiding the mustang continued him on up the ridge directly toward the spot where fred had lain so long watching the action of the apaches gathered around the opening of the cave the mustang walked along quite obediently seeming to feel the load no more than if it was only one half as great but those animals are like their native masters cunning and treacherous ready to take advantage of their riders whenever it happens to come in their way which is the reason i cautions you to be ready for a fall said mickey after referring to some of the peculiarities of these steeds of the southwest the minute he gets it into his head that we ain't paying attention he'll rear up on his four feet and walk along that way for half a mile not having any saddle we'll have to slide over his neck 
unless I can brace me feet against his ears and ride along standing straight up. The constant expectation of being flung over the head of a horse is not the most comforting sensation that one can have, and the lad clung fast to his friend in front, determined not to go unless in his company. Upon reaching the top of the ridge, the horse was reined up for a few minutes as Mickey, like the mariner at sea, was desirous of taking an observation so as to prevent himself going astray. "'Can you remember how you were placed?' asked the lad, after he had spent several minutes in the survey. "'That is, do you know which way to go for the horse you left eating grass?' "'I was a little puzzled at first, as me father observed to the school teacher when he said I had been a good boy. But I see how it is now. It must have been that I got a little turned round when I was down in the basement of these mountains. But I see how it is now.' right yonder he added pointing toward the northwest is where i left my horse and there is where i hope i'll find him again is the road so that we can ride the mustang all the way there or must we walk i remember i come right along some kind of a path made by animals after leaving the beast i suppose it's the route taken by the creatures and going to the water for there's a splendid spring right there and the path that I was just telling you about leads straight to it. Then keep the horse from throwing us off, and we're all right. After we find your horse, Mickey, or don't find him, what are we to do then? Sit sail for New Boston? But we can't ride through these mountains if we don't find the pass. And the same is what we're going to do, barring that it hasn't been lost yet. Are you sure you know the way to it from where you left your horse? I've been hunting for it for hours, but couldn't any more tell where it was than the man in the moon. What course would you have to take to reach it? Right off yonder, replied Mickey, pointing to the left. And I was sure it was here, said Fred, pointing his hand in nearly an opposite direction. Which the same is good reason why you're wrong. When you get lost and think you're on the right way, you may be sure that you're wrong, and after figuring the whole thing over and getting certain of the right course, all you've got to do is not to take it, and you're certain of saving yourself. Then, according to that, you ought not to take the route which you said is the right one. I'm speaking for lost spalpains like yourself, said Mickey severely. I haven't been lost since I parted company with Soot Simpson. And Bagara, that minds me that we ought to say something of him. Just look round and observe whether he is standing anywhere beckoning to us. Both used their eyes to the extent of their ability, but were unable to discover anything that bore a suspicious resemblance to a man. So far as they could judge, they were entirely alone in this vast solitude. Do you expect to meet Sut very soon? Of course I do. Why well, shouldn't I? But he went another way from you altogether after Lone Wolf. That's just it. He went another way and went wrong, and he has been gone long enough to find out the same. And he will turn back and follow you? As soon as he finds he's wrong, he'll go right. And as I went right, he'll be on my heels. But you know both of us have strayed a good deal off the track, and we have traveled in many places where we haven't made the slightest trail. How is he going to follow us, then? The Irishman gave utterance to a scornful exclamation. 
I've been with that suit Simpson long enough to learn something. I've seen some specimens of what he can do. Rocks don't make no difference to him. When he gets on the track of a wild bird, if it don't take extra pains to dodge and double, he'll follow its trail through the air. Oh, he's there all the time, and the wonder with me is that he hasn't turned up before. What would he have done? had he come along and found us both in the cave and the Apaches watching. He would have tracked that wolf back to his hole, come in and fetched us out, and then slipped up behind the six and tumbled them all in like so many tin-pins. If he's such a wonderful man as that, it's a pity we couldn't have kept him with us all the time, and if we do run against him, we can afford to stop thinking about Apaches as they will be of no account. Yes, all right. But the trouble is to find him, as the man said, when the British government condemned John Mitchell and him thousands of miles away in America. This tramping about at night in the mountains isn't the easiest way to discover a man, and it's him that will have to find us, instead of we him. But we'll keep it up. If the Apache Mustang, which they were riding, meditated any mischief, he seemed to be of the opinion that the occasion was not the most suitable. He walked along with great docility and care, picking his way with a skill that was wonderful. Several times they approached places where it seemed impossible for an equine to go forward, but the horse scarcely hesitated, toiling onward like an alpine chamois, until at last they drew up in a small valley through the middle of which ran a small stream that sparkled brightly in the moonlight. "'Here we are,' said Mickey. Here's the spot where I left my creature a couple of days ago, and where I don't see him just now. Use your eyes a bit, and tell me whether you observe him. Fred was scarcely less anxious than his friend to recover the steed, for recalling his experience in that line, he had good reason to mistrust Indian horses. It would be very awkward when they should find a party of Apaches howling and rushing down upon them to have the animal turn calmly about and trot back to his former friends, carrying his two riders into captivity or leaving them to shift for themselves. Nothing could be seen of the creature, but there was a fringe of wood on the opposite side where he might be concealed, and Mickey slid off the blanket with the intention of hunting for him. "'Don't let this spurpeen give you the slip.' He cautioned the lad as he gave the lariat into his hand, for if mine is gone, this is the only one we have to depend on, and we can't spare him. Fred felt a little uncomfortable when he found himself alone and astride of the fiery steed, which pricked up his ears as though he meditated mischief, but the horse seemed to think better of it, and continued so quiet that the young rider ventured to transfer his attention from him to Mickey, who was moving across the open space in the direction of the wood upon the opposite side. The moonlight was so clear that he could be as plainly seen almost as if it were midday. As he moved along, he brought his rifle around to the front so that he could use it at a moment's need, for he could not but see the probability that if his horse had been lately disturbed, it was likely that those who did so were still in the vicinity, and no place was more likely to be used for a covert than that same patch of timber which he was approaching. "'Be the powers, but it looks a little puckerish,' he said to himself, slowing his gait and surveying the wood with no little distrust. 
there might be a dozen of the spalpeens sleeping there with one eye open or all sitting up and expecting me he had proceeded so far however that it was as dangerous to turn back as it was to go on for if any enemies were there they were so close at hand that they could easily capture or shoot him before he could reach his horse. He was scarcely moving, and doing his utmost to penetrate the deep shadow when, beyond all question, he heard a movement among the trees. He paused, as if he had been shot, and cocked his rifle, looking toward the point from whence came the noise. "'Easy there, now,' he said in a solemn voice. I won't stand any o' your tricks. I'm savage, and when I'm that way I'm dangerous, so if yez are there, speak out, or else come out like a man and tell me your name, for the token of which mine is Mickey O'Rooney from Ireland. This characteristic summons produced no response, and feeling the peculiar peril of his exposed position, the Irishman determined upon changing it and securing the shelter of a tree for himself. It was not prudent to move directly toward the spot which gave forth the rustling sound, as that would be likely to draw out a shot from a foe if he desired to avoid a personal encounter. Accordingly, the Irishman made what might be termed a flank movement by turning to the right, running rapidly several paces, and then diving in among the trees as though he were plunging into the water for a bath. The few minutes occupied in making this change were those which Mickey felt were of great danger, for if he should reach the wood and find himself opposed to but a single man, or even two, the situation would not be so uneven by any means. No shots were fired, and he drew a great sigh of relief when he gained the desired covert. "'Now I can dodge back and forth and work me way up to him," he concluded. And when they stick their heads out from behind the trees, I'll whack em for em, just as we used to do at Donnybrook when the fun began. He waited where he was for some time in the expectation that his foe would reveal himself by an attempt to draw out. But if there is any one thing which distinguishes a scout, whether white or red, at such a time, it is his patience. It is like that of the Eskimos, who will sit for sixteen hours without stirring beside an air-hole in the ice, waiting for a seal to appear. Mickey O'Rooney was not burdened with overmuch patience, and acted upon the principle of Mohammed going to the mountain. He began picking his way through the shadows and among the trees, determined to keep forward until the mystery was solved. End of Chapter 11 Chapter 12 Through the Mountains Continued When Mickey found himself under the shelter of the trees, something like his old confidence returned. As I observed some minutes ago, it's myself that's not going to stand any foolin', he added, loud enough for the redskins to hear. Whether you there or not, you ought to speak and come out and smoke the calomel of peace and give a spalpeen a chance to crack your head as though you're his brother but if you're up to any of your tricks make ready to go to your hunting grounds by this time he was within a dozen feet of the spot whence came the rustling that so disturbed him and was staring with all his eyes in quest of the redskins in spite of the bright moonlight the irishman could not be certain of anything he saw 
There were trees of large size behind any of which an Indian might have shielded himself effectually, and it was useless for Mickey to look unless his man chose to show himself. The Irishman had all the natural recklessness of his race, but he had been in the Apache country long enough to learn to tone it down, for that was the country where the most fatal attribute a man could have was recklessness or rashness. In many instances of conflict with Indians, it is worse than cowardice. But in the face of Mickey's assurance to the contrary, he did not feel altogether easy about the Apaches he had left at the cave. His humanity had prevented him from depriving them of means of escape, and although he was inclined to believe that they were not likely to climb the lasso until many hours should elapse, there could be no certainty about it. They might do so within an hour after the departure of the man and boy. It was this reflection that caused Mickey to act with something of his natural rashness. He felt that he could not afford to wait to fight the thing out on scientific principles, so he determined, since he was so close, to force it to an issue without delay. Accordingly, he prepared himself to charge. "'I've been too kind already in giving you warnings,' he added, gathering himself for the effort. "'And if your indifference causes your ruin, it's your own fault, as the bull remarked when he came down on a butt again the engine.' Compressing his lips, Mickey made his start, forcing out a few words as he could shoot bullets on the way. "'Nobody but a spalpeen of a coward would keep out of sight when he saw a head coming down on him in such tempting style as mine. I can't understand how he could.' In his furious hunts for antagonists, the belligerent fellow did not think of looking upon the ground. He made the blunder of Captain John Smith of the Jamestown Colony, who, in retreating from Powhatan's warriors, became mired, with the eventual result of making Pocahontas famous and securing an infinite number of namesakes of the captain himself. Mickey O'Rooney had scarcely begun his charge when his feet came into violent collision with a body upon the ground, and he turned a complete somersault over it. "'Be the powers, but that's a darty trick!' he exclaimed, gathering himself up as hurriedly as possible and recovering very speedily from his natural bewilderment. "'A man who drops in the ring without a blow is always ruled out, and be that token you're not entitled to the respect of elegant gentlemen.' During the utterance of these words, the Irishman had carefully returned, boiling over with indignation and fight, and at this juncture he discovered the obstruction which had brought him to grief. So far as appearances went, there was no Indian nearer than the cave. It was his own horse that had made the noise which first alarmed him. While the equine was stretched upon the ground, peacefully sleeping, his bumptious owner, in charging over his body, had stumbled and fallen. Mickey was thrown all in a heap for a minute or two when he found how the case stood, and then he laughed to himself as he fully appreciated the situation. "'Well, well, well, I feel as cheap as Jerry McConnell when he hugged and kissed a gale for two hours one evening and found it was his wife, and she felt cheaper yet, for she thought all the time that it was Mickey O'Shaughnessy. I suppose, me old sweetheart,' he added, as he stooped down and patted the head of his horse, 
that you've been living so high here for two or three days that you're too fat to be good for anything. Come up with ye, ye old spalpeen. The Mustang recognized the voice of his master and obeyed as promptly as a child, coming upon his feet with the nimbleness of a racer and ready to do what he was bidden. Mickey led him out into the moonlight when he left him standing while he went a short distance for the saddle and bridle which he had concealed at the time of leaving the spot. They were found, just as he had left them, and he returned in high feather, secured them in a twinkling upon his animal, and galloped back to where the lad was waiting. "'You haven't seen or heard anything of redskins, have you, while I was procuring my creature?' "'Nothing at all,' replied the lad. "'But I heard you talking pretty loud, so I suppose you must have found several.' "'No,' answered Mickey, who did not care about explaining the whole affair. "'I'm always in the habit of exchanging a few words with the creature when I'm mates, and such was the case a short time since when I met him after being away so long.' "'Well, Mickey, we haven't any time to spare.' "'You're right, my laddie. All you've got to do is follow me.' With this. He headed his mustang at precisely right angles to the course they followed in making their way to the spot, and Fred, who expected all sorts of trouble in the way of traveling, noticed that he was following some sort of path or trail along which his horse trod as easily as upon the open prairie. While this was an advantage in one respect, it had its disadvantage in another. The presence of a trail in that part of the world implied that it was one made and travelled by Indians who were likely to be encountered at any moment, and Mickey was not insensible to the peril. But in the present instance there seemed to be no other means of getting along, and thus, in one sense, they were forced into it. The probabilities, however, were that they would soon emerge into safer territory, where it would be possible to take some precautions against pursuers. For some time the two galloped along without speaking. The hoofs of their mustangs rang upon the rocks and rattled over the gravel, and in the still night could have been heard a long distance away. While the Irishman kept as good a lookout ahead as possible, Fred Munson did his best to guard their rear. He kept continually glancing over his shoulder in expectation of seeing some of their enemies, but nothing of the kind occurred and before he anticipated it they emerged into what seemed a deep valley with high rocks upon both sides. Mickey drew up and allowed his young friend to move alongside. "'Do you mind ever having seen this place before?' he asked. "'I don't remember anything about this country, and all I ask is that we may get out of it as soon as possible. But don't you mind ever having been here before?' Thus questioned, Fred scanned his surroundings as best he could, but there was nothing that he could identify, and he so said, adding, "'I'm sure I've never been here before.' "'And I'm sure you have. This is the path that Lone Wolf come along, that you was hunting for when you got lost and fell into the basement story of the mountains.' "'Oh, this is the pass, is it?' exclaimed the delighted lad. "'Then we have a clear road before us straight to New Boston.' clear of all but one thing what's that the red spalpeens they're always turning up when you don't expect them and don't want them how far are we away from the cave where we left the half dozen apaches i don't think it's much more than a mile though it may be a mile and a half 
Well, that's very good. We've got that much start, and it's worth having. And there's where you're mistook, as the gals used to observe when anybody tried to run down my beauty. The path that we came along, ye'll mind, makes many turns and twists, and the end of it all is that it strikes the pass on the other side of the cave, and we've got to ride right by the spot which we lift. This was not cheering information, although everything considered, the two had cause to congratulate themselves upon their extraordinary success up to this time. The night was about gone, and while their mustangs halted, they observed that it was growing light in the east. They would be forced to ride through the dangerous territory by day, so that the risk of detection would be proportionately greater if their enemies should be in the vicinity. Both the mustangs were fresh and vigorous, however, having enjoyed an unusually long rest with plenty of food, and they were good for many hours of speed and endurance. The one ridden by Fred had behaved in a very seemly fashion, and there was ground for the hope that he would keep up the line of conduct to the end. Still, there could be no certainty of what he would do in the presence of the Apaches. "'We'll take it easy.' said Mickey, as the two started off in an easy gallop. "'We'll not be after putting them to a run till we have to do the same, so that when there's need for their speed we shall have it at command.' This prudent suggestion was carried out. Their horses dropped into a sweeping gallop that was as easy as an ordinary walk. The riders kept their senses awake, talking only a little, and then in guarded voices. As they galloped along, the sun rose, and the day promised to be as warm and pleasant as those which had preceded it. The sky was obscured only by a few fleecy clouds, while the deep blue beyond was as beautiful as that of Italy. Drawing near the cave in the mountain, they pulled their horses down to a walk, and carefully guided them into the softest places so as to make the noise of their hooves as slight as possible. Nothing occurred until they were a short distance beyond the dangerous spot when Mickey spoke. "'Do you observe that stream there?' he asked, pointing to a rather deep brook which ran across the pass and lost itself in the rocks upon the opposite side. "'Well, that's the water that comes through the cave over the cascade and that I expected to swim out by, and I'm going to find out what me chances were.' End of chapter 12